Hello and welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. My name's Darren and I'm here with Faith. Hi. Pastor Faith. And we will get to the sermon in just a little bit, but we wanted to make some time and space to talk about something special that we've been having on Sundays. And it's a new song that Pastor Faith, you and your husband, Josh, wrote, and we've shared it with our community. Tell us a little bit about it. What's the name of it? Yeah. And where did it come from? Yeah, so it's called We Need You. Um, and I, I'm going to root this in 1 Corinthians 2 when Paul says, My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Um, the, the first thing that was written for this song was the beginning of that bridge section that says, We don't need better plans. We don't need clever thoughts. We need your Spirit, O oh God. We don't want the wisdom of man. We want we want a display of God's power, which is really what the world needs. They don't need to see a show, or even in the area of worship, they don't need to hear good music. We need to see a display of the power of God. So it came from that heart cry. And then the beginning of the song kind of sets up this space where we invite Holy Spirit, we open our hearts, we clear out all the distractions, the things that get in the way and then just simply cry out for more of Him. And it's this this longing to be a, a space where the Spirit would rest mm-hmm. as a community. Yeah, I love that. That's such a the heart and core value of Garden Church. Exactly. Knowing that the Spirit is present, like He's welcome to the party and we get to celebrate. And I so appreciate the beauty and creativity that you've been cultivating, not only with worship, but just something that we can invite the rest of our community into. And, and it's so cool when, when uh, in the recording of this song, it's the first time that we shared it. And it's like people have been singing it for weeks. <laughs> and it was just such a cool thing to experience. And so we're so happy for those of you that have experienced that with us on a Sunday morning. And we want to see just more original songs being birthed from this place um, that you're talking about, just being saturated in the Holy Spirit. So we are welcoming you to stick around after the sermon where you can hear a live recording of the song, We Need You, and I hope it blesses your heart. Garden Church Podcast. So we believe the real Jesus came out of a real tomb and God's real new creation is underway. And it's for this reason that we say on Easter Sunday, he is risen. Mm, Okay, that was a little weak. Let's try it again. Okay, I'm just gonna warm it up. He is risen. Okay, not bad. Not bad. Welcome. I'm going to talk about Jesus and the resurrection, Uh, but I want to start off with a quote just to get us in the spirit, because I found this this week, and I was like, yes, this is it. It's from N.T. Wright. Check this out. He says this, Easter is all about, uh, Easter is about the wild delight of God's creative power. We ought to shout hallelujahs instead of murmuring them. He's risen indeed. We should light every candle. In the building, instead of only son, we, some, we should give every man, woman, child, cat, maybe not cats, dog, and mouse in the place. <laughs> uh, Pat, I know you love cats. I love you. Um, we should have a real bonfire. We should splash water about as we renew our baptismal vows. It, it, uh, it ought to be an eight-day festival with champagne served after morning prayer or even before 
with lots of alleluias and extra hymns and a spectacular anthem. Right? Yeah, so that cha- Now, I know what you're thinking, guess. I know what you're thinking. Champagne with prayer? What kind of church is this? Sign me up for some of that. And that's what I'm talking about this morning. No, I'm just kidding. We, uh, not kidding. We are here to celebrate and make much of Easter because everything about Christianity hinders on Easter. As Karl Barth once said, if there's no empty tomb, there is no Christianity. Come on, Daisy, you got this. We have somebody who's in the Easter spirit today. We need to get some of this because we're excited. Now, here's the thing. I want to make much about Easter, but in the past, growing up in the church and knowing my bad theology or not really understanding what Easter was all about, I would celebrate Easter something like this on Sunday. It would be like, yay, our guy won. You know, yay, like we get to go to heaven when we die. Some of you are like, yeah, isn't that, yay, there's really life after death. And then I would get my peeps and my Cadbury eggs that I brought to church because I had a bunch of them along with some Christian paraphernalia like crosses and WWJD bracelets that my mom would sneak in there. True story. (laughs) And then I would head off to brunch. I would go to brunch and uh, forget the whole purpose of Easter. And I want to just make that clear today. I want to make clear uh, this morning what it is we are celebrating on Easter. And I want to talk about the biblical meaning of the resurrection and its implications for ordinary life, because so often we miss it because we think of it like it's something over here and it doesn't engage my life where I am. And so that's what I'm gonna explore today. Does that sound okay for you? And I, I, I'm excited, I think it's pretty decent. First service, mm, maybe, but I think you guys will, will do better than them. Anyways, uh, we're not comparing, but you guys are definitely the favorite service. So let me just pray one more time and uh, we'll get underway. So Jesus, we declare you as the risen Lord that we're not celebrating um, some disconnected theology, that we're not trying to escape this life, but that you have brought heaven to earth and invite us to partner with you in extending heaven on earth. I pray for revelation in our heart and mind that we would align our lives to what is true and reality, not in truth based on how we feel, but truth because it's a capital T, real. And I pray that your spirit would do a mighty work in bringing conviction and bringing awareness and bringing freedom and and that we would have so much joy because joy comes from you. And we bless you, Lord. And it's in the name of Jesus that we all pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so go to the Bible, Luke chapter 24. I want to talk about the different stories around the resurrection event because I think they're hilarious. Um, And I want to show you that, that actually this is funny, like, This whole day and our whole religion, our whole movement of Christianity for the last 2,000 years is built on people seeing in real time the risen Jesus. But let's go to the first stories that captured the first witnesses, the eyewitness accounts. So we'll start in Luke, then we're going to go to John, and then we're going to go back to Luke, and um, and we'll, we'll, we'll see what it means for us today. So Luke chapter 24, verse 1. If you don't have a Bible, it will be on the screen. Let me read this to you. So this is after Jesus was dead on the cross. He died on the cross. He was buried. And on the third day, the Sunday morning, this is where we pick up. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. 
But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here, he has risen. So they run back and they tell the disciples about this. And we we have a similar story in the Gospel of John, so go to the Gospel of John. Let's read this account of what happens after the women come back and say, hey, his body's gone. And we pick up in John chapter 20, verse three. Now you need to know this if you've never read the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John was written by one of the disciples of Jesus. His name is John. But throughout, yeah, yes, all day. I'll be here all day. No, his name is John. And he gives himself this clever name, um, the other disciple, or my personal favorite, he calls himself the disciple who Jesus loved, okay? The beloved disciple, which is hilarious because all the other disciples were killed at that point. So he could write this gospel giving him this favored name, which I would do the same thing. Anyway, so here we pick up, and I want you to pay attention to these details. This is the most epic moment in human history, This is the resurrected Jesus, the moment. And look at what he wants you to know about this event. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over, looked at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter, who, by the way, if you're taking notes, came along behind him. And went straight into the doom. He saw the ships of linen lying there as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, in case you forgot, who had reached the tomb first, (laughs) also went inside. He saw and believed. And so there's this interaction uh, that continues. So there's some more stories about the resurrected Jesus in John's gospel um, they're, where they're, the disciples are out fishing and Jesus is on the, on the shore making breakfast and they can't catch anything. He's like, try the other side. They catch this fish. They jump in the water. They find the risen Jesus and Jesus is sitting on the shore doing what you do in the resurrected life. He says, do you want some breakfast? And then there's another account where some disciples who are confused, they heard that the tomb was empty, that some people saw Jesus Um, We're walking on the road to Emmaus and Jesus appears to them. They don't recognize him until he, in the afternoon where he breaks bread and hands it to his disciples. Then they come back and tell um, the disciples about Jesus. And then we pick up in the Luke chapter 24, verse 36. So go back to Luke. It's after the road to Emmaus. All the disciples are gathered and this is what happens while they were still talking about this, about this road to Emmaus experience. Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. This is in the Bible. He said to them, why are you troubled and why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement. Did you hear that? The risen Jesus physically in front of them while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he said to them, do you have anything here to eat? Now, if you were reading these stories for the first time, you would think 
The disciples had no idea what was going on. And that's reality. They didn't have a clue. They weren't making this up. They were trying to figure out. So there's all sorts of surprise and they were frightened and they were hopeful and they were forgetful and they were confused and competing. Who got to the tomb first? They were like doubting, is he a ghost? But ghosts don't have flesh and bones. Ghosts don't eat food. They couldn't believe what was happening when it was happening, even though Jesus throughout his life said it was going to happen this way. If you were making up this story, you would want to leave out a few of the details. Like the women. Sorry, I'm trying to beatbox. My my thing's trying to beatbox here, and I don't want to flow. So I just got to be careful. I'll be very gentle with that one. So if you were making the story up, you would want to leave out a few details. Like women being the eyewitnesses first. Their, their, their eyewitness accounts would not be seen as valid in a court according to first century culture and custom. But this is why I love Christianity. This is why I love our faith because it's anchored in reality. The resurrection is grounded in truth that something so extraordinary is birthed out of some unexpected, unintentional, ordinary ways right in the midst of our shame of our despair of our defeat right in the midst of bringing our spices which were for finishing the burial process embalming a dead body there's an empty tomb hope is birthed out of death and faith is built in the middle of doubt and the resurrection is not about some escape to some better place That's not what the resurrection is about. The resurrection is not an invitation to some higher spiritual enlightenment or knowledge. It's not esoteric. It's not philosophical. The resurrection is grounded in reality. It's down to earth and it's practical for today. So much of religion today and Christianity in the past has been about compartmentalizing life. We love as people to separate things from us and them from spiritual to physical from sacred to secular from good and bad from heaven and earth but the resurrection and what we celebrate on easter sunday is heaven and earth coming together once and for all the way it was intended to be in the first place and this is what the resurrection is all about easter is a celebration of heaven and earth coming together once and for all the way it was intended to be in the first place. Resurrection is a fulfillment of one long redemptive story that the Bible tells. And I've shared this story and you should be familiar if you're part of the church, but the Bible begins in Genesis 1 and 2. If you're unfamiliar, this is the story in a nutshell. It begins in Genesis 1 and 2. God creates all of creation. Heaven and earth were wed. They were overlapping and living in harmony. Humanity was designed to live as a reflection of God's image everywhere we went. We were designed to live in perfect, loving relationship. Now imagine that for a second. For anyone that's married, imagine perfect, loving relationship forever, always. Wouldn't that be good news right there? That we were designed to live in perfect, loving relationship with each other, with ourself, and with God. 
And that that's the way this whole creation project was designed to work. But God, in his love, gave humanity the, the decision to follow his way, to choose to follow life the way it was intended to be, working in relationship with God, or to choose our own way. And guess what we chose? That's obvious. We chose to go our own way. Did somebody say the fun way? Is that what I heard? <laughs> wow. It's not fun, because this is what happens when we went our own way, if that's what you said. Let me correct it. it. Maybe it was just what I heard. What enters into the story is anything but perfect. We know this. Sin enters into the story. We miss the mark. And sin is this Christian word or this biblical word for missing the mark, but it, it, it brings all sorts of chaos. Shalom was vandalized. The cosmos were corrupted. Relationships were distorted. Depression, anxiety, sickness, genocide, despair, terrorism. There are 207 at least people that have died on Easter Sunday in Sri Lanka because this world is not the way it was intended to be. And we grieve that loss. But that we know for a fact, if you open the news, you know for a fact it is not perfect. It is not the way it was intended to be. There is a better way. The way it was intended to be was from the beginning, and this is what we hear. We know that that's broken, but here's the thing. Genesis 3, that's the reality, and the story of humanity goes on, and we see it in our own life, destruction, despair, brokenness, sin, hopeless pursuit of things, but God doesn't leave the story unfinished. God, from Genesis 3 to Revelation 21, pursues humanity and all of creation on a loving mission to restore and redeem what was broken in the garden. He does this through Abraham. He does this through the Israelites. He does this through the people, the nation of Israel. And eventually, God finally takes it upon himself. He takes on flesh and bone. As Eugene Peterson says, he moves into the neighborhood. And he lives a perfect life and reveals life the way it was intended to be. Now, I want to talk about that just real quick because the story keeps going. But Jesus comes onto the scene and his message, his words, his life reflects this idea, this vision that life, the way it was intended to be, is available for anyone and everyone around the person of Jesus. Jesus came announcing good news, the gospel, and the gospel is not good news, there's heaven when you die. The gospel is not good news, believe the right things about God and follow the rules and have no more fun and then one day you'll experience life after death. Jesus came bringing life before life after death. John 10.10 says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. In uh, the gospel of Mark, the message of Jesus is uh, good news. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. And when he's saying the kingdom of God, it was his phrase that was electrifying. It meant God was now in charge. That imagine what it would look like if this good and beautiful and perfect creator God was in charge of your life and people had access to this life through Jesus. And this is what I love. Jesus wasn't a philosopher or just a great teacher. He wasn't trying to bring a bunch of ideas to the world. He was bringing life in practical ways, just like the resurrection. What do I mean by that? Well, blind people could see. Deaf people could hear. That's pretty practical. Would you agree? Pretty like matter of fact there. People that were excluded or isolated in loneliness were part of a new family and welcomed in. People with a laundry list of sin, of broken, failed things in their life were given a second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, and so on chance in God because of Jesus. He, he embodied this gracious, forgiving, shockingly 
uh, inclusive deity God that shocked the world around him. That people who were religious thought he was a heretic because of how powerful this, this idea and this practical life was. Jesus brought healing and wholeness and justice and forgiveness and life where it mattered most. And people that came near to him, that touched him, experienced the life that they were intended to live. And Jesus brings this redemptive plan to its climax when we get the ultimate image of what God is like. And this is what you need to hear if you're new to the church and you're wondering about God and who this God is and it's been distorted because of the church. One, I'm sorry for that because the church is designed to look as beautiful and good as Jesus, but it doesn't. And that's our fault, but we're working on it. But what you need to know about God of the scriptures, and if you're wondering about the Old Testament, New Testament, what does he look like, who is he? What we know is this fact, the ultimate revelation of who God is and what he looks like is found with Jesus dying on the cross. That if you ever question what he looks like and his intentions towards you, it's always extended self-care and love. A self-giving, generous love that restores, redeems, overwhelms. It's, never, it's too good to be true, and it is because the God that Jesus reveals is too good to be true, full of grace, always inclusive, always forgiving, and always, always welcoming you at a seat at the table. How are we doing, church? I like that part of the story. I love that part of the story. And then Jesus dies. And the story of the Bible continues. He dies and he's buried in a real tomb. And I've been to that, well, what they think is the tomb in Israel. I was reading that this morning. Just I have a picture. I pulled up the picture. I showed my son. I'm like, this is where they think Jesus was buried, a tomb like this outside the city. And the disciples go to see him and they don't expect to see a defeated Messiah was no Messiah at all. But he's resurrected. And you couldn't make this up because they didn't see it coming. And the Easter begins a new story. See, N.T. Wright says this, the resurrection of Jesus doesn't mean it's all right, we're going to heaven now. No, the life, uh, no, the life of heaven has been born on this earth. It doesn't mean so there is a life after death. Well, there is, but Easter says much, much more than that. It speaks of a life that is neither ghostly nor unreal, but solid and definite and practical. The Easter stories come at the end of the four gospels, but they are not about an end. They are about a beginning, the beginning of God's new world, the beginning of the kingdom. God is now in charge on earth as it is in heaven. And God's being in charge is focused on Jesus himself being king and Lord and the resurrection proves it. So what we celebrate is not the end of the story, but just the beginning. Easter brings all sorts of possibilities for our life. Think about it. If dead people normally stay dead, do you think once if they rise again, there's some new implications for life? How many of you need hope that dead things in your life can resurrect again? that you have capacity for change and transformation, hope that the way things are going can look differently down the road. That's what Easter is about. It's about the beginning of God doing something new on earth through Jesus, then through his disciples, and now through us. Now the problem with me doing this is what I, I think is the major crisis in the church today. It's the way we approach all sorts of things because we're overloaded by information, aren't we? We podcast NPR, we watch YouTube, Netflix, Amazon Prime, HBO, Showtime, FX, and now Apple Plus and Disney Plus has come out. It's like absolutely overwhelming, right? 
And if you didn't know about that, I'm sorry, I just bombarded you with more options. You're going cable free, but now you have 50,000 things to subscribe to. Maybe it's just my issue. We take these stories, we take these quotes, we take spiritual truths, and we, we keep them out here, right? Like, this is what I, I, and I'm having a hard time articulating it, and maybe this doesn't make sense, but I feel like it's that idea about compartmentalization and the religious way is still part of our life. What we do is we think that Jesus wants me to say this prayer, and so I say this prayer, and then I give him my spiritual life, right? I keep the stuff that matters here, and I keep the things that I think Jesus wants over here, and it never really penetrates and transforms my existence or my soul because I want to keep it at a safe distance. And, and it's like what I like to call it is a do-it-yourself spirituality, a DIY faith. This is the curse. I think this is the curse of our generation, that we've made Jesus in our own image. We've made Jesus to like the things, to vote the way we vote to look and dress the way we look and dress, to buy and consume the way we buy and consume. And so it doesn't really change the way we live. So we just do things based on emotion and feeling and our ultimate truth is how we feel in the moment rather than what God says is true. And we don't offer our whole life to God, we offer our parts of our life to God. So this do-it-yourself spirituality looks something like this. I'll take a little bit of the blessings, hashtag blessed, I'll take a little bit of the church as long as the pastor's funny. It's only an hour and a half. I don't have to do that much. And if we pass the bucket quickly and the, the announcement's not awkward, that's good enough, right? I'll give them a little bit of maybe some prayer life. In regard by my prayer life, what I mean is if you're having a hard time, I'll text you. Praying for you, sweetheart, but not really pray. Sorry, am I just speaking about myself? And now it got real quiet, real serious. <laughs> I didn't mention giving or money or anything like that. Let's leave, let's leave that for something else, right? What we do is we give Jesus the bits and pieces of our life that we think are spiritual rather than recognize he's coming with an overwhelming ocean of heaven like the Pacific Ocean to fill your life with, but we just want to give him a bit of, a bit of this here and there. And that's the problem with Christianity. We allow our, our faith to be about convenience, comfort, and consumeristic personality disorders that we have. Rather, we have reduced Christianity to a powerless social club rather than a movement of Jesus people. And see, Christianity doesn't work that way. Christianity is not about a list of to-dos and don'ts, he's in, she's out, whatever that is. Christianity is like a relationship. What relationship do you know works when one person's all in, the other one's not? What marriage works when one is covenantally faithful to their vows and the other one's not, Right? That's what Christian, Christianity is a relationship. It's all in, it's jumping. You can't get physically fit if you go to the gym a couple of times and you eat at In-N-Out every day and skip leg day. Do <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? You can't skip leg day and get fit. We know this is a historical fact, it's true. Did he just compare faithful Christianity to skipping leg day? What is that? Uh, yeah, exactly, I don't really know. But I know that's what's going to stick. Watch. You're going to go to brunch and be like, what was the message? I don't know, but he said leg day, and I just, I want to be doing leg day. <laughs> you see, Christianity's like a relationship more than, he's not interested in you saying a prayer and then going to live the life the way you always lived. He's not looking for your spiritual life. He's looking for your whole life to be radically transformed and renewed and given resources from heaven here and now.
And the truth is, this is how I approached Jesus most of my life. This is how, how, how I approached Jesus, that I thought to be a good Christian, I had to do a lot of spiritual things for God. Now that's coming from this broken image I carried of, of God. It was a distorted image, thinking that God was unpleased and unhappy with me and the way I would earn his love is by performance. Anyone wanna relate to this? There's a bunch of us. Yeah, we do it in other ways, but for some of us, we compartmentalize our lives. So I thought, I'm gonna give him my prayer life. I'm gonna do reading plans. I'm gonna serve the poor. I'm gonna start a church at 23 years old. No 23-year-old should ever start a church, just so you know, somebody should have been looking out for me. But I'm not mad. <laughs> And, and I thought, I'm just gonna do it, but I'm doing all this good stuff for God, and I'm, I'm preaching, and I'm giving God my spiritual life, and I'm burnt out, I'm angry, my marriage is disrupted and falling apart, and I'm, 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 I'm sick and tired and insecure and frustrated, but I'm doing all the right things for God. All the spiritual stuff, I'm doing it. And I realized, Jesus is not interested in me doing spiritual things for him. He's interested in me flourishing as a person. He's like, what do you do? That's not the Darren I created. Why don't you be more like Darren? <laughs> God wants us to flourish. And I separated my life, ministry from everything else, and I discovered that Jesus wants to equip me with resurrection life in my everyday, ordinary life. That's what the resurrection's about, but we miss it. When we read the scriptures, we see the human, the humanity in the resurrection. Do you see it? Competing, I don't believe, but I'm gonna worship. Uh, where is he? I gotta touch his hands and feel it for myself. I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go fish. Oh, Jesus over here eating, making breakfast. There's all, it's like, it's so human, but we miss it because we want it to be this bigger thing. It can't possibly be this bigger thing coming into my ordinary life, but that is it. That's what God desires, to be with us in the ordinary stuff because the ordinary stuff is where we live. And he wants to be where you live, not where you think you should be because Jesus only comes to us where we are, not as we should be, not where we think we should be, but where we currently are present, in the junk, in the sin, in the brokenness, in the failed marriage, in all that. He wants to be right front and center. And, and then, as we surrender to his lordship, he wants to help us out of the mess and give us a new way to live in the power of the resurrection in ordinary life. He wants to empower my preaching as much as he wants to empower me to be a family man. He wants to train me to partner with him in prayer and intercession as much as he wants to train me and partner with me in my finances and schedule. He wants to give me power from on high through the spirit of God to live as a witness to the ends of the earth. And he wants to give me power from on high through his Holy Spirit to live as a passionate lover of my wife. How we do in church? In other words, where you find yourself and whatever life stage you're in and whatever stage of life you're in, you're in it matters. Jesus wants to bring transformation there and he wants to help you walk out what it means for you to become fully alive here and now, not then and there, today. That's why the resurrection matters. The resurrection means this world matters. You ever catch that? Anyone wants, wants to divorce or compartmentalize heaven and earth? All the action takes place on earth. Do you notice that in the Bible? 
Yes, there's spiritual realities happening, but it's all, it's, it's gonna end. Let me tell you how the story ends. Guess what, ready? This, in case you were wondering, heaven comes to earth once and for all. Peace, joy, reconciliation, restoration of all things under the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how the story, that's where it's going and we get a part to extend that peace, that joy, that justice in our ordinary life. What we do here and now with our time, our energy, our resources, our knowledge, and our relationship matter. And the question I have today for you is, are you living life in the power of the resurrection? Are you living ordinary life in the power of the resurrection? Are you skipping leg day? It came full circle, right? It came full. <laughs> so how, how do we live? It's so cheesy. It's a, it's a dad joke. I'm like, I'm up on stage doing dad. This is terrible. It's almost done. How do we live? How do you live in the power of the resurrection in ordinary life? How do we live ordinary life in the power of the resurrection? Number one, you need to recognize this. We, li- uh, we learn to live our life with Jesus. It's not a prayer. It's not just a prayer of acknowledgement. It's about a relationship with Jesus. My job is to be setting you up on a blind date if you're new to faith. That's what I think of it as. I think of evangelists as introducing people to Jesus like a person introducing to a friend and I'm setting you up on a relationship. I'm not here to give you a bunch of lists. I'm not trying to convince you. I, I believe that if you begin to live your life with Jesus, your life will begin to flourish and so, all, all over the place. Now, it won't come with just blessings, hashtag. It will come with adversity and opposition. It will be contested. But all of a sudden, it's like I see color for the first time. That's what walking with Jesus, when you learn to live your life with Jesus, the things that weren't making sense will begin to work itself out, relationships. Like you'll realize actually the power of the world doesn't make sense. The way the world should operate is through this greater power called love. So when people come at you, you just surrender and lay down your life for them. That actually the truth of, of wisdom and living your life full of wisdom comes from Jesus and God's intention for creation. So your job first is to be introduced to Jesus and begin to walk out like a relationship, life with Jesus. Learn to hear his voice. Learn to follow his ways, to practice what he wants you to practice, to take on disciplines and habits that shape the rest of eternity. That's what it means to be a Christian, to be someone who falls in love with the living creator, Jesus Christ, and live the way it was intended to be. And I just need to let you know right now, I'm not saying get your act together. I'm saying acknowledge that Jesus is Lord and begin to live your life with him. And you don't have to do anything at first because Jesus will come and love you as you are and not as you should be. Like, I, I want to make sure we're walking out with at least that phrase, not just leg day. The other phrase is that God loves you as you are and not as you should be. Because you're never going to be as you should be. Isn't that good news? Isn't that good news? Second, we, how do we live in the uh, life, ordinary life in the power of the resurrection? We're going to talk about this next week. We learn to live our life with authentic community. Another issue of this age our society and culture built on individualism, rampant individualism, is this idea that we can do faith by ourselves, that we can pick and choose community based on convenience. But we were designed to live in relationship with one another. I say the meaning of life is relationship. That you need people in your life to, to help you become who you were designed to be in the first place. Someone that mirrors who you are and what you were intended to be. There's this tribe in Africa 
I don't know why I'm telling this story. I didn't in the first. You guys are my favorite service. So here you go. But I love this story that there's a tribe in Africa that would sing when the baby is in the womb of its mother, the mother and father would come up with a song that would be the baby's name. And during, while the baby was in the womb, they would sing this song. And as it, as it went along, the tribe would learn the song and sing it while the baby was still in the womb. And then the baby, when the baby was being born, the whole tribe comes around and sings outside of the hut or the, the village, would come, come together and sing the name of the baby. And then throughout its life, it would be given this song. And what's so amazing is they tell us, Uh, anthropologically is what they do is when that child as it grows does something wrong to offend the tribe when it makes a mistake when it does something bad they put the child in the center of the village and the whole village comes around this the child and sings the child's name this is who you are that's good right what jesus does for us is when he pulls us into our identity he says no no no, this is who you are and we forget who we weren't who we aren't because we fall in love with who we really were made to be. And that's what community is designed to be, a place of encouragement, lifting each other up, preventing the things that happen in the world. Are we doing all right, church? Third point, one of my favorites, is how do you live ordinary life in the power of the resurrection? Moving from life with Jesus and life in community, we learn to partner with Jesus in bringing heaven on earth in a million different ways every day we live. This is where we miss it as a church because we can't compartmentalize life, ministry from not ministry. All of life is ministry. All of life is spiritual. All of life matters because you matter to God and his creation matters to him. And so wherever you go, you carry the message of the resurrection. And and she writes, says, the message of the resurrection is that this world matters, that injustices and pains of this present world must now be addressed with the news that healing, justice, and love has won. And how is it addressed through you? Jesus wants to give you power here and now to live the life you were intended to live, to bring healing and justice and good news and love and peace and transformation everywhere you go, every day you live, to everyone you meet. Jesus wants to give you power to change and experience transformation in real time. What does that mean to experience heaven on earth? Well, Jesus wants to give you power to reconcile relationships, to resist temptation to break addiction and generational issues, to break broken, uh, to restore broken marriages, to forgive injustices, give you power to give generously to those in need. He wants to give you power to work with purpose and meaning. He wants to give you power to be freed from anxiety, freed from depression. He wants to give you power for the second and third and fourth chance and so on. He wants to give you power here and now to live the way you were intended to be. And the way you were intended to live is to bring heaven on earth a million different ways every day you live. How are we doing? Whew, slow down. I got a timer up here, so I'm like, I gotta get to the, get to the baptism thing. Because <clears throat> we're gonna do baptisms. Heaven opens up with millions of possibilities every day if you learn to live your life that way. Heaven opens when you go on Tuesday nights to do laundry love. Heaven opens when you open up your home and you share life and meals intentionally around the dinner table. Heaven opens when you host a house church. Heaven opens when you mentor single moms. Heaven opens when you mentor young business people with your life and experience. Heaven opens when you intentionally live the way you were intended to live, giving everything you have away, and heaven is extended through you, bringing the kingdom life. And it's so practical. I feel like as church, we've done a bad job thinking that all the action takes place on the stage on this Sunday. And that's not where the action is designed to be. It's spo- we are the light of the church. No, we are the light of the world. 
And so I was talking to my friend about this and he was, he's like, how do I bring the kingdom of God every day I live, everywhere I go, when what I do for work is post pictures of shirts that I've designed and make them and every day I'm alone printing those shirts and sending them out to people that buy them. That's his job. And so he started praying about it and he realized, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna pray for every item I print for God to bless that shirt and that person receiving the item to experience the healing that I've experienced in my life. He's experienced freedom from anxiety, depression, and a broken marriage. He's seen reconciliation in his marriage. And so he prays for every item he creates that the person receiving that would experience the same thing he received. How cool is that? Everywhere, every day, bringing heaven a million different ways. I have a friend who's the number one salesperson in his company. It's a massive company. And he plateaued at one point, and then he went through this process of discovering wounds and lies that developed a false self through biblical teaching and through um, time in the word and realizing that his identity was shaped his work at work ethic. And so he discovered this process of find, discovering wounds and lies and discovering your true self and breaking the false self. And it brought all sorts of implications for how he approached his job. And it, he broke through in his job and made a lot of profit. And so he start, started, started to think, wait, I could help other guys in my company experienced the same thing because most of the guys in his company were plateauing and experiencing the same things that he experienced. So he went to his boss, started this consulting thing. So he started consulting the sales reps at his company as a sales rep, not as manager, just thinking this is what God wants me to do. And so he started bringing biblical teaching about wound, lie, false self, true self. You can only find your true self in Jesus. And he started bringing this a few months ago and the men in his non-Christian workplace are discovering Jesus, discovering their true identity, discovering past wounds, forgiving people, and finding freedom in their marriage, in their workplace, and guess what? Profits are increasing. Isn't that crazy? No, it's not crazy. Just so you know, Jesus is not against profit. Just, I need to let you know. He's not against businesses flourishing. And that's how he's, he is, I think he's gonna move powerfully in the, the next move of God. There'll be a partnership with business in a way that we never saw it because business is part of God's way of extending the kingdom. I have another friend who's a professional organizer. Bless her. It's like, she's like the Marie Kondo thing. And she does that for a living. And she was telling me about how she would go into these places where, where um, these men and women would, would be absolutely insecure about these areas in their homes that are full of chaos. They're dirty. And it just overwhelms them. And he, they, she would come in with like this peace and this presence and this reassurance of what God wants her to do. And she realized that when she goes into those intimate places in her home, she's going into these intimate places in their, their heart and lives. And where they feel shame, she's able to bring peace and reassurance and affirmation and talk about their identities because of what is going on in their physical environment. She's bringing the resurrection life to organization around her. How cool is that? See, there's a million different ways. I could share a thousand stories from people that take in refugee families from Afghanistan and Pakistan, from people who have spent 30 years making tons, or spent, they've, they've spent all their life building this business. They give over 30% of their income away, and now they're seeing how God has used them to extend the kingdom through making lots of money and being extremely generous. I can tell you stories of families who foster children. I can tell you all sorts of things that are going on in our church, but at the end of the day, it's about you discovering what God's inviting you into. Because only you can be you. 
And Easter then is an invitation to celebrate the risen Jesus. And Christianity is not some disembodied religion or escape plan. It's a call to live your life in the ordinary, to bring Jesus into the ordinary. It's not about the future experience that you'll have one day. It's about learning to live on purpose with the resources of heaven every day you live. Therefore, Easter is, that's right, Easter is about the wild delight of God's creative power. So we ought to shout hallelujah and amen for he is risen, he is risen indeed. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit garden.church. Space for your presence to dwell and to move.